Good morning, Blackman. Hey, Merry Christmas. Uh, we are continuing. Oh, by the way, if you're a guest with us this morning, thank you so much for being here. We are, we are honored that you are joining us during the Advent season. We are continuing in our Christmas series, Angels We Have Heard. And I'm really excited uh, to, to look at this next inter angelic interaction in Matthew chapter 1. In this chapter, we're going to see an angel messenger speak to Joseph, the adoptive father of Jesus, in a dream about the arrival and the impact of Jesus. It's a big deal. And I have two goals for this message today. One, in a continuation of the series, we want to reawaken our wonder over the events of Christmas, the supernatural, history-shaping moments in Scripture. Like, I'm asking the Lord, as I told you last week, to help us move past the ornaments on the Christmas tree or the obsession with Amazon shipping dates, right? Like, to, to consider the most important moment in the history of everything. So that's the worshipful goal of this time. But I have a second goal which for today, which is to help you grow in reading the Bible, specifically in reading and understanding and loving the Old Testament. It is not uncommon. It's not uncommon. And if this is you right now, it's cool. That's why we're here. It is not uncommon for people to think that the story of Jesus begins in Matthew chapter 1. That is incorrect. Let's read today. We're going to start with the passage. Read this passage today to see why that might be the case from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Goodness. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary at birth to a son. Received in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You are to name him Jesus. Because he will save the people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. So in this text, we see that Joseph is about to marry a woman who is pregnant. He decides he's going to quietly divorce her, because in that time, engagement had to be broken off similarly to a marriage. However, instead of that happening, an angel shows up in his sleep to tell him Jesus is coming and that Jesus will be God with us. This is a fascinating occurrence. Joseph is asleep. A heavenly messenger enters his sleep and says, the Messiah is coming to your family. It's incredible. And it's also understandable if you read this first chapter of the New Testament and think that that is the beginning of the story of Jesus. Understandable, but not accurate. 
That's because the story of Jesus is the story of all human history. The story of Jesus is, in a very real sense, the story that is behind every other story you ever hear. The whole story, the, the whole story of the Bible, the whole story of the whole world is about Jesus. Therefore, what we just read in Matthew 1, it's not the once upon a time beginning of the story. Rather, it's the long-awaited hero rises up part of the story. Matthew chapter 1 isn't the first part of the story. It's the best part of the story. God's word wants us to understand. We're gonna, I'm going to hammer this home today. Wants us to understand that the rescue of humanity has been going, going on for thousands and thousands of years by the time we get to Matthew chapter 1. You could say that it existed for all eternity before this dream that Joseph had. So I want to remind you of the story of everything. I want to remind you of the story that's at the center of every page, every word, every chapter of scripture, every, every millennia and every moment of humanity. It doesn't start in Matthew 1, it starts in Genesis 1. Christmas doesn't start in Matthew 1, it starts in Genesis 1, because we can't celebrate the arrival of the Son of God until we need him. So the story starts with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's also the story of Jesus, because in the beginning was with God through him. And the word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Through him were all things made. This is the story of the word. Without him was not anything made that has been made. And in him was life. And that life was the light of man. And God said it was very good. And then the story immediately takes a dark turn. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. No, not one. There is no one who does good. There is no one who seeks after God. And the wages of sin is death. That's the story we're entering into in Matthew chapter 1. The penalty of sin is death for centuries and centuries and millennia and millennia. The penalty of sin is death. The penalty of sin is death. The penalty of sin is death. But the story continues. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For the word took on flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But even then, we said, crucify him. And he said, it is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. But the story continues with the words of another angel who said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set you and me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do for centuries and centuries and millennia, what the law was powerless to do, 
weakened by our sinful flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be the sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, according to the spirit. And even that's not the end of the story. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life and so we shall always be with the Lord and he shall reign forever the story of the world is a story of rescue and need for eternity past and a story of rescue and hope for eternity future that's the story that we're stepping into in the middle of Matthew chapter 1 the angel is not telling Joseph about the beginning of the story. The angel is announcing the turning point. The moment we've all been waiting for, that's what's happening here. The arrival of Jesus moment, needing him for millennia is the moment. Everything changes. Matthew 1 is... Charlie finding the golden ticket and Grandpa Joe starts to dance. Right? Matthew 1 is Frodo grabbing the ring and understanding what it takes to save the world. Matthew 1 is the first flowers of spring after a hundred years of knowing Aslan would return at winter's end. The angel comes to Joseph in the middle of the story in the middle of a dream and says, it's happening. He's here. Joseph, it's time. The world is changing right now, Joseph. Hope is rising right now, Joseph. Nothing will ever be the same. Because the long, long, long awaited rescuer is arriving. Jesus is here, the angel says. Emmanuel is here, the angel says, and he's in Mary's body right now. It's momentous. And what I want us to see today and for the story of your life, Jesus Emmanuel arrived. So let's look at the name Jesus first. And see that Christmas means the arrival of the prophesied rescuer. This isn't the beginning. This is the moment the hero arrives. So let me read to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins now All this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophets. So focus, if you will, on those last two sentences. You are to name him Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. The name Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. Or even more simply, God saves. The angel wanted Joseph to recognize that This was the Savior coming through the line of David. This this is the one who's been promised for ages. And then the angel goes on to be even clearer. Says this is the fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah who said a virgin would give birth to God in human form 
who would make the world right again. As we're going to see in a moment, all throughout human history, our rescuer has been promised. Sin and rebellion ruled, but the hope had always been the rescuer is coming. The Messiah will arrive. The prophet said it won't always be like this. That's what's culminating here. So I want to help you see the impact of this angelic message and also help you know how to experience the story of Jesus in the Old Testament. Jesus is everywhere you go in the, whole t- in the Bible once you know how to look. Understanding this will change your life. And I know a lot of you know this, but even if you do, let's remember again. Once you see Jesus as the key to everything in the Bible, you begin to see him as the key to every moment in your life. Once you know how to look for the Redeemer, the coming Redeemer in the deep need of God's people in God's word, you begin to look for your deep need for the Redeemer in every moment of your life. So I'm going to give you, I'm about to be a little more teachery than preachery for about 15 minutes. So I'm going to give you three P's for, not mine, but three P's for reading the Old Testament as a way. I want to use this as a way to help you, but also it helps us load up the meaning behind this angelic message. So there are a lot of different ways that people categorize uh, how to see and understand Jesus in the Old Testament. The The most helpful way I've seen it is the three P's from desiring God. So store these categories. They'll be on the screen. I'm gonna, we're going to talk through them. Store these categories in your heart, in your mind, to help you as you read the Old Testament. This will help you understand how amazing it is that the world was talking about Jesus, waiting for Jesus, hinting at Jesus for thousands of years before Joseph took that nap. The first and primary thing that you are looking for in the Old Testament is patterns. Patterns of Jesus. I'm the most excited person in the room right now. Let me see if I can get you there. We all know what a pattern is. A pattern is not the real thing. But it has the shape of the real thing. The outline. It hints at what the real thing is to help you understand the idea or the purpose of the real thing. I asked my daughters, my, my youngest daughter, I asked her this morning to make a doll pattern for me. Hold on, I can't even hold it. Thank you, Nugget. These patterns are not dolls. But they can help you know what a doll looks like, Right? Not dolls, but they'll help you know the shape of dolls. Maybe if you ever do actually see a real doll, you'll know it's a real doll because the pattern helps you know what a real doll should look like. And there's patterns of Jesus all over the Old Testament. The most frequently used example is probably David and Goliath because That seems to be a story that people know a lot. The soldiers of Israel, God's people, they're being challenged by a giant. Young David said, I'll fight that giant. David kills the giant with the power of God. It's amazing. And when I was a kid in church, I was told, you too can kill giants in your life. Guess what? That's absolutely can. But isn't it God can use you to defeat his enemies? He can. But isn't it also true that we often don't trust God and that there are some giants that we can't kill? 
You can't defeat the giant of death. You can't do it. So there are times when we're like David and we can do great things for God. But even David wasn't always like David because he was also a murderer and an adulterer and his son tried to kill him and he ran away and on and on. The message of David and Goliath isn't primarily about having the right rocks in your bag and not being afraid of the giants in your life. No, David is a pattern of Jesus. He has the shape of him. Just a hint enough to help you recognize the real thing. There's famous language for talking about the patterns of Jesus. Students of the Bible like to call Jesus the true and better version of whatever it is that you see in the Old Testament. For example, Jesus is the true and better David. Because Jesus stood and faced the giant, didn't he? Defeated the giant of sin and death that we couldn't do. Freed his people from captivity. But David's pattern was sometimes good. Jesus was always perfect. David was sometimes powerful. Jesus is all-powerful. Jesus never had a day off, and he won for us. His name means Jehovah is salvation. God saves. David was a pattern that helped the world recognize we need a rescuer, and a rescuer is coming. So don't think of yourself as King David. This would be my advice to you. Most of the time, you will let yourself down. Think of yourself like the soldiers on the side of the hill, hoping somebody else would come and win. David, like Jesus, who he was patterning, was sent to fight for his people. Moses is another example of a pattern. Moses interceded for the people of God, didn't he? He led them out of bondage. He stood up to their, impress- to their oppressor. He also was weak and disobedient and didn't even make it to the promised land. But he served his purpose pretty beautifully because his purpose was to show God's people that they needed a true and better rescuer. They needed Jesus to intercede for their sins with finality, to lead them out of bondage permanently, to free them from oppression forever, right? You get the idea. When you see the sinfulness and the enslavement in the Old Testament of God's people, their salvation, even though temporary, is hinting at Jesus. The skins put on Adam and Eve in the garden tell us Jesus is coming. The ark that rescued God's remnant from the flood, Jesus is coming. The tabernacle appeased the wrath of God. Jesus is coming. The temple where the sacrifices appeased the wrath of God. All the heroes of the faith who helped God's people find temporary freedom. These all told us for thousands of years, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Hey, Jesus is coming. Then Joseph falls asleep and an angel says in a dream, he's here. All of the patterns in the Old Testament are pointing to this moment in Matthew chapter 1. The patterns of Jesus are not the only thing that we have in the Old Testament. We also have promises of Jesus. Promises. Sometimes the Old Testament doesn't just hint. It outright proclaims that Jesus is coming. When you read the Old Testament, then you want to look for the promises. There are hundreds of them. It's 
like the world's best Easter egg hunt. Thousands of years before Jesus arrived, Old Testament writers, through the work of God, told us how it would happen. There's one of them actually referenced in what we just read in Matthew 1. See if Isaiah 7.14 sounds familiar, which was written roughly 700 years before the birth of Christ. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. 700 years before. 700. That's not even close to the only time the Bible outright said Jesus is coming. And also, I'll tell you how. Did you know that the Bible, uh, the, the Old Testament foretold that Jesus would be Galilean? The Old Testament foretold that he would be pierced. The old, this, I think this is, everybody's got their opinion on what the wildest one is. I, this one is it for me. The Old Testament foretold that the money used to betray Jesus would go to purchase a potter's field. That's a nugget of truth. Centuries later, that's what happened. And I'm not going to tell you where it is because I want you to read your Bible and find it. But the Bible said for thousands of years, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Christmas isn't the beginning of the story. Christmas is the moment the long-awaited rescuer arrived. We're not even close to done yet. So we can look for patterns of Jesus in the Old Testament. We can look for promises about Jesus to God's people. The third P is we can look for the presence of Jesus with God's people. Patterns, promises, presence. There are quite a few times in the Old Testament when Jesus Christ, the embodied second person of our triune God, showed up himself. It's called a Christophany. Think of Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This will be familiar to many of you. Thrown into the fire. Nebuchadnezzar says, didn't we throw three men into the fire? I see four, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. That's a Christophany. That's the presence of the pre-incarnate. This is incredible, boys and girls. Students, Genesis 22 is a very famous pattern of the coming Messiah. God tells Abraham he's going to have to sacrifice his son on the altar, but then steps in at the last minute and says, You don't have to go through with it. Instead, the Bible says the angel of the Lord called to it is a pattern for Jesus, who is the true and better sacrifice, who would spare the life of his people. Right? Pattern. Then read with me, beginning in verse 15 of Genesis 22. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by, oh, this is crazy. By myself, I have sworn this is the Lord's declaration because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son. I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. Watch this. So we already have a pattern. Now we read all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring. That is a promise that Jesus would one day come through Abraham's line, which he did to be a blessing for the entire world, which he clearly and obviously is pattern and promise. But here's the kicker in giving that word, the angel, by the way, the word angel there just means messenger. The messenger said, by myself, 
I have sworn this is the Lord's declaration. So we have this messenger saying, by myself, I swear the Lord's declaration. Who is the messenger who is from the Lord and is the Lord? Who, this is not a rhetorical question. Who is the messenger who is from the Lord and is the Lord? Jesus. In this one story, within the story, Jesus is present bodily. Jesus is promising that Jesus is coming and Jesus is patterning the work that he would someday do all at the same time. And I, that's amazing, but I say all of that just so I want you to understand that Matthew 1.21 is a big deal. Every page of the Bible, every moment in history was pointing to she will give birth to a son. You're to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Christmas means the arrival of the long prophesied rescuer. But that's not all. I have a way, way shorter second point. Here's the second thing for us to see. Christmas means the arrival of the prophesied rescuer, and Christmas means the arrival of the God who draws near. I got a page and a third. Don't. So beautiful. I got a page and a third. Don't be nervous. That's amazing. The Bible's amazing. The power and the authority, the wisdom, the work of God is... What words? Awesome. But Jesus isn't just the one who's willing to rescue us. He's the God who wants to be with us. Read verses 22 and 23 again. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. For centuries, for millennia, the message was Jesus is coming. For thousands of years, Jesus is coming, and all of a sudden, God with us. He's Emmanuel, God with us. We talked about this last week. Perhaps the hardest thing to believe about the Bible and to believe about Christmas is that. How could God want to be with me? Can your heart believe? Let it believe. Let the Lord melt you to believe that Jesus didn't just come with power for you. He came to be present with you. Jesus didn't just come to fight for you. He came to befriend you. His fighting for us was so that we could have him and he could have us. God with us. I've got a friend uh, who went to high school with his now wife and their first substantive interaction was him stepping in to stop her from being bullied. They love both of them to tell a story. It's a very romantic story. He had heard she was having troubles with some other guy in high school. And he went to the guy and said, that ends now. Like, he's got that type of personality. If he wasn't a follower of Jesus, I'm convinced he would be a mob boss. But he's like, this is it. (laughs) And then he told his other friends 
to help him ensure that he didn't mess with her anymore. And that was the end of it. He shut it down. He came to the rescue. That's awesome. However, I want to point out that though he stepped in to fight her battle, he clearly had ulterior motives. (laughs) Because now they're married for 10, 12 years. They have kids. They're a family. Ultimately, it wasn't just an act of rescue. It was an act of wooing. He wasn't just fighting on her behalf. He was helping her fall for him. So he stepped in and protected her. And now they're together and in love. That's what those two names look like if you stretch the meaning all the way to infinity. Jesus. Because for thousands of years, Emmanuel, God with us. Because for thousands of years, the mighty warrior, the rescuer was promised. And then he really did show up. Jesus stepped out of heaven to fight for you. He said to the bully, no more. (laughs) He won the war against sin, death that we could never win, but he didn't just do it to be powerful. He did it to be with us forever. God himself wants to be near you. He's Jesus. He is salvation. He's also Emmanuel. The message of Christmas is that Jesus left heaven to be near you. He fought Satan to be near you. Tortured, died, risen again to be near you forever. And just like, just like there were promises that he would come for thousands of years, so there were of his nearness. It's all true. Don't you need somebody to be near? It's all. Psalm 34, 18 is true. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saved those crushed in spirit. Isaiah 58 is true. He who vindicates me is near. James 4, 8, New Testament Still true right now. Draw near to God, and he will draw new, near to you. Christmas means the arrival of the long-awaited rescuer, and we are going to worship that rescuer in a moment. We are going to sit around the Lord's table and remember the sacrifice that brought us not only victory but nearness of God. If there's anything in your life that you want to talk to a pastor about, pray with a pastor about, respond to, we'll have pastors up here. If that's not you, will you sing your guts out to the prophesied rescuer and the God who came near? Father, we thank you for how much you love us. It feels so small to say it after thinking about the thoughts that we've just encountered. You loved us before the foundation of the world. You loved us at the cost of your own son. You told us you loved us. You promised you would fix it. You are a God of your word. Thank you.